uh, dialed into the webinar today. Um, you know, what we're talking about is the proposed changes that the current government is um, is trying to, well, proposing to legislate into, and those changes relate to franking credits and the impact, you know, that'll have on, you know, the global economy, sorry, the Australian economy uh, and, and individuals um, and companies. Um, I'm here with Jesse Hamilton on my left, uh, who's our uh, Chief Financial Officer. Um, also, Sam Phelps is with me uh, and she'll be running the Q&A. We thought we'd um, the structure we'd use today is more a question and answer. So, therefore, um, you know, thank you for all the questions you've uh, sent in, and we've had a lot of them. Yeah, this will really give you an understanding um, you know, by us potentially answering those questions. I mean, we, we are passionate about making a difference and we are passionate about you know, standing up for what we think is right. And, and the reason a lot of people have said, you know, back in 2018-19 when we're passionate, you know, when we're advocating about franking um, and more recently a, a number of people have said look why do you why do you bother um, you know the reason we bother is we've got 130,000 shareholders who entrusted us are managing you know five million dollars on their sorry five billion dollars on their behalf um, and for them those uh, investors you know franking is very important a lot of people are saying oh, well, these current changes are, are minor um, and they really you know, have very little impact. The What, um, unfortunately, people don't understand is the, the significant, and I mean significant, second-order you know, second effects and third-order effects. Now, um, we've seen over the last week you know, what's been happening with global banks, uh, with um, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, well, getting bailed out, Credit Suisse getting bailed out, various other banks um, in the US getting bailed out. That is a second um, and third order effect of the significant increase in interest rates over the last year and a bit. Now, what we've we've done a lot of analysis on these proposed changes. Um, that you know the 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 unintended consequences or the significant second and third order effect they'll have. Now, not necessarily to someone's hip pocket today, but in terms of increasing volatility in the Australian economy, um, you know, stopping you know, the lifeblood of the Australian economy, mid and small cap companies growing, uh, increasing the cost of capital, encouraging companies to take on debt, um, et cetera. And we'll go through those in a little bit more detail you know, later on. Uh, so, again, thank you very much um, you know, for for spending the, the time with us today and I'll pass over to Sam. Thanks, Jeff. Um, you've answered a little bit of this, but I suppose I just wanted to um, get you to take us through what the changes the current government are proposing to franking and perhaps just touch on 2019 as well. Yeah, back in two, uh, 2018 and 2019, you know, March 2018, when the uh, Labor uh, opposition announced that they were going to change franking, um, what they were doing there is they were changing the benefit uh, of individuals. You know, so they were, it was you know, a very you know, inequitable and unfair um, you know, proposal, you know, which really um, would hit some people's hip pockets significantly uh, and, and people that have done the right thing all their life uh, in terms of set up themselves so they didn't have to rely on the government pension 
uh, and then the benefit of franking was going to be taken away from some group of, of, of individuals, but not others. Uh, and now that was back then. And what's happening now is it's slightly different, uh, is what the government is proposing, the Labor government, is individuals. Sorry, not it, it's not specifically for individuals now. It's for companies. They're trying to stop companies from paying out those fully frank dividends. And that's and we'll talk a bit more in detail a little bit later on that. Great, thank you. Jeff, you, Jesse, and I have been meeting with federal senators and members of parliament over the last few months. Can you explain to um, listeners what our main objective was, who we've been meeting with, and the feedback we've received to date? Yeah, the I think the first time we all read this legislation, we thought it was fairly benign legislation, and it was only you know when we dug into the details and uh, I've really got to you know thank Jesse you know for the incredible work you've done to um, you know understand fully you know the incredible uh, unintended consequences this legislation has. Uh, and, and what we've found is by you know going and meeting you know, members of the you know, current government, um, members of the Liberal Party, the Independents, you know the Greens, um, you know the you know, lot, effectively uh, you know people from all the you know we wrote to all the um, you know all the members, and we got some really good feedback. None of them fully understood the legislation, um, you know, which which doesn't surprise me, um, or uh, they didn't really understand the unintended consequences. Back in 2018, 2019, it was really, you know, it was an election campaign and it was, you know, it was really, we were trying to, um, you know, get changes and it, and it was working with, you know, big groups, you know, really, you know, working with the crowds, you know, trying to get significant change. This time, it's, it's significantly different. It's, it's more hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, and that's why, I know we'll talk to you a little bit later, um, that's why it's so important that everyone on this call you know, and, and get your friends and anyone you know who's got small businesses that'll get negatively impacted that, please put submissions into this Senate inquiry. Our objectives, you know, when we were down in Canberra, you know, talking to the politicians, um, our objectives w was for them to fully understand you know, what, what is happening uh, and we had some some really positive uh, feedback on that side. Uh, and also our, our other objective was for there to be a, a Senate inquiry. Um, and now there is a Senate inquiry. The submissions have to be in by the end of this month, by the 31st. Um, when we asked you know, our, our supporters and, and, and the greater you know, Wilson Asset Man Management family to put submissions in last time, we gave them a template. Uh, this time, um, we found out that the templates don't really carry that much weight. Uh, so, you know, please try to put it in your own words and please put submissions in. We had, there was more than 2,000 submissions in, were put into one of the, um, you know, to, talk, to discuss one of the bits of legislation last time. So this time we want two to 3,000 submissions. If there are a lot of submissions, then there'll be, currently the plan is, I understand, there'll be one hearing um, in Canberra, but if there are a lot of submissions, there'll also be a hearing, potentially a hearing in Sydney and a potentially a hearing in Melbourne. 
So please um, you know, put in those submissions. Thanks. Jeff, I will turn to you, Jesse. Um, the legislation change relating to frank distributions and capital raising is the one that worries us the most. Could you please explain the changes, how it could reshape capital markets and why we're concerned? Thanks, Sam. And, and you're right, this is the one that does concern us the most. There's a lot of noise and, and we'll talk about the buyback one shortly, but it's this piece of legislation that has the broad unintended consequences. Talking about the legislation itself, the ultimate aim is to stop companies from paying a fully franked dividend if, in Treasury's view, any money <clears throat> raised un under a capital raising can be linked directly or indirectly to the payment of that fully franked dividend. It's not just ordinary dividends or and special dividends. It's all dividends. So there's a lot of talk about special dividends, but ordinary dividends can be caught in this as well. And, and the way the legislation's constructed is... It talks about an established practice, so businesses that have a history of paying fully frank dividends, any deviation in that history, and capital raising um, more broadly. So any, any amount of capital raised um, coinciding with the payment of a fully franked dividend can be caught under this legislation. And it, it's been drafted incredibly broadly, so there's no clarity over the established practice test that's within the legislation. So it, the legislation is actually quite contradictory about how do companies demonstrate an established practice, especially small enterprises that have never paid a dividend before. How do they demonstrate that they've got an established practice of paying a franked dividend? And the indirectly or directly linked part about capital raising funding, unfortunately, it, it also provides no time frame. So a company could pay a fully franked dividend today and in a year's time, raise capital or six months' time, raise capital. And it, Treasury would have the ability, or the, the tax office specifically, have the ability to make their own determination that they think um, that capital raising helped fund that fully French dividend payment. And it's the broadness of the legislation that's the most concerning part. <clears throat> it's not specific. An anti-avoidance legislation, as this has been pitched, should be specific to the problem they're trying to address. But unfortunately, the legislation's drafted that gives the ATO a gun to walk around and make their own determinations. It doesn't provide corporate Australia any clarity over what distributions could meet their definition and what won't. Um, and it significantly is going to impact both like existing large companies, but also small, medium enterprises. So those small growth companies that are generating profit and paying tax it'll significantly impact their ability to grow in the future. So the payment of fully franked dividends generally reduces the cost of capital in Australia. Uh, that's one of the great, incredible benefits of the franking system. So companies can <clears throat> raise equity more efficiently than they can get external debt. But what this legislation will promote is companies borrowing money to fund fully franked dividends, which is allowed under the legislation. Australia, like the government's trying to stop companies raising equity, it does not, it's promoting the debt over the equity part, which increases risk on company balance sheets. But it also gives a competitive advantage to large corporations. So those big sort of ASX 20, ASX 200 companies have greater access to debt. Um, so they'll be able to borrow to fund fully frank dividends, but they've also got incredible franking reserves already built up. So what this will, one of the big unintended consequences of the legislation will be that 
those companies, the incentive system is changing. So right now, they're all incentivized to pay as much tax in Australia as possible because of the benefit of the franking system and the fully franked dividends down to their shareholders. Given those companies like a BHP and Rio, for example, BHP can pay a $30 billion dividend tomorrow with its franking reserves and Rio around a 20, I think $25 billion dividend. Given those franking reserves that are there, they have excess franking that they don't need to keep topping it up at the moment. So what they will go about is a process of tax minimisation. So those companies will look to reduce their tax bill in Australia if the franking system isn't as valuable to shareholders anymore and they can't pay those fully franked dividends down. And it's those top companies that have the access to debt can minimise their tax and it will significantly put them at a competitive advantage compared to those small medium enterprises and small unlisted entities as well that rely on raising capital and paying fully frank dividends to grow um, and expand their businesses. Thanks, Jesse. I'm just going to stick with you. We've just spoken about capital raising. Um, there is a simple amendment that could be made to Chapter 5 which relates to the off-market buybacks. Can you firstly explain the proposed changes and then take us through what, um, what could make this change more equitable? Definitely. So right now, um, off-market buybacks can be conducted by companies. And usually when a company has retained, retained earnings in their balance sheet, so they've got historical profits, part of the buyback comes through to shareholders in a franked dividend or just it could be fully franked or, or a partially franked dividend. So the proposed change that the legislation is going to enact is stopping companies paying a fully franked dividend as part of the buyback price. So if a company is to do an off-market buyback, there will no longer be a dividend and a capital component. It'll be 100% capital, likewise with an on-market buyback that companies can conduct. So I guess looking at that generally, um, that's something that I guess if, if Labor is looking to stop off-market buybacks and the payment of fully frank dividends, the legislation uh, is drafted to do that. It unfortunately goes one extra step that I think put the argument aside about off-market buybacks and, and fully frank dividends. The legislation should stop there. There's a piece. Oh, of I mean, I argue they put a little. Yeah, you know, Treasury's put a little hand grenade in there. Yeah, definitely. And the hand grenade is. If you, do, if you are to do an off-market buyback in the future for any legitimate reason, could be part of a, a capital restructure um, that is commonly used for smaller companies. Well, well when, when we set up you know, Future Generation, you know, we did an off-market buyback to let everyone get out of the NTA. Now, that's just the right thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and Century Australia a number of years ago when we took yeah. over the management, we did an off-market buyback to let all investors out at NTA, yeah. less costs if they wanted to exit, before we did a, a recapitalisation and grew the company under the new investment strategy. So it's quite an effective tool as an off-market buyback um, for legitimate purposes in, in capital management for boards. The hand grenade in the legislation is if you do an off-market buyback in the future, the franking that would have been paid out to shareholders historically, so when it used to be passed down in a fully franked dividend, that fr same franking at the same proportion, unfortunately, gets paid to the tax office. So shareholders of that company, present and future, permanently will lose that franking credit or franking credits. It'll go to the tax office. And if the company doesn't have any franking, they'll unfortunately be forced to pay a franking deficit tax which is a further drain on, on company resources um, when using the off-market buyback for a legitimate purpose. It, it's just a broad overreach. Sure. I mean, to me, to me, it's just appalling. Like, like mm. you're doing 
you know, it's just normal capital management. Yep. And they're going to penalise you. Exactly. You know, it's got nothing to do with franking. They're going to take franking away from you. Yep. And, like it's, and that's the simple change on that piece yeah. of legislation? I'd call it gross overreach. Definitely. <laughs> It, yeah. it, it's it's just gone one t- step too far, and disappointingly, it hasn't been communicated. So when it, when it was this was this measure was announced yeah. in the budget, no one spoke about this piece. It's not until you read the full explanatory memorandum and the legislation changes that you see this little grenade that's in there, and, and it just fails to understand the usefulness of an off-market buyback from a capital management perspective. Yeah. Treasury is looking to dictate how companies management their, manage their capital, um, and this is a just grosser understanding and overreach um, of, of the legislation. And, and it's a simple thing to remove. That, that, that's what we would be suggesting. Now, there's been lots of commentary about who benefits from off-market buybacks, and I think the Assistant Treasurer has made a number of statements which I think are misleading, and, and the AFR recently commented on these. They've made statements that it's large institutions um, and sort of investment funds that benefit from off-market buybacks. Unfortunately, that's just a misrepresentation of the truth. We have never participated in an off-market buyback. Investment managers will not participate in an off-market buyback. They're usually done it at a price lower than the current market price. So it's it's broadly um, to no one's advantage for in our sort of world participating in an off-market buyback. It's sometimes industry super funds, big superannuation funds, self-managed superannuation funds. And unfortunately, when you look through even from an industry super fund, who are the beneficiaries? It's everyday Australians. It's mum and dad investors. And then you have generally self-managed super funds participating in these off-market buybacks. So it's just... And, and charities. I was talking to a broker yeah. the other day and he was saying a lot of charities he knows participate in these... Yeah, off market buybacks and like philosophically, you know the the company's paid its tax. Mm. I, I know we're being like trying to be generous. We we know the government needs to uh, repair the budget, and, and this measure is you know is talking about you know raising five hundred fifty million over the forward estimates. Yeah, uh, then you know we're happy to say look make this change in this legislation, even though the le- the legislation is unfair. Yep. But make this change, and it helps repair the budget. And, and I think what you know, what we just think is, you know, we, we're just so disappointed, you know, with the current budget. And I'd, I'd high expectations for um, you know, the treasurer, etc. Initially, um, is you know the second bit of legislation. That's that's the one that'll you know, cripple you know, small, you know, medium sized Australian tax paying growth companies. You know, and and all those negative. Yeah, mm. uh, um, second and third order effects, uh, and that's only going to raise ten million dollars a year. Yeah, so yeah, if we had to, we understand that budget needs to be repaired. Make the change, Jesse, yeah, as outlined, um, and um, and 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 drop the other one. That's that's sort of Correct. our position, isn't it? Definitely. Okay, I think you guys have probably touched on the next question, so I might stick with you again, Jesse. The current government has said these changes are anti-avoidance measures measures, and are designed to stop companies doing the wrong thing. Is this true or will it be targeting legitimate company operations? Like Jeff mentioned before, when when this legislation was first put out, um, the capital raising and frank distribution one, my original thought was, ah, like reading the headline, I know what they're trying to curb, like the behaviour they're trying to curb. 
and it is the old sort of Jerry Harvey Tab Corp. You've historically had old mining companies that would do a capital raise just to flush out franking credits. Unfortunately, even if the intention is anti, I guess it's an anti-integrity measure, the legislation goes way beyond that. And I think deliberately goes way beyond that. It, it, the legislation is so broad that it's going. It's definitely going to capture legitimate company operations right now. And, and you can make the argument that Treasury might not apply it this way. But right now, a simple dividend reinvestment plan for that a company provides its shareholders is caught by the capital raising component of the Frank Distribution and Capital Raising Bill. And if the company doesn't have an established practice that meets Treasury's definition, which is broad and non-specific, a simple dividend reinvestment plan could be caught by this legislation. So th that's the broadness of it. And, and then work your way back that any capital raising, even if it's for a legitimate purpose. And, and Treasury does provide an example like this that a company could have, say, $3 million of, of working capital, for example, and it wants to buy a business or it wants to buy a piece of equipment um, and it does a capital raising for $10 million to, to buy that business and equipment. Um, and following those activities, it then pays a fully frank dividend of a million. The legislation goes to the extent to say that the $3 million working capital that you had, you should have used that for the acquisition, not for the fully frank dividend that you could pay in six months' time. So it's that extensive that it's starting to dictate how companies use their working capital, even when legitimately raising money for an acquisition specifically or to buy some equipment and expand the business. They're now starting to dictate the working capital arrangements of companies. Thank you. Jeff, what have you heard from our shareholders about this matter? Yeah, look, I mean, we've got a lot of feedback and, and thank you and please give us more feedback because it's only by you know, seeing and hearing your feedback then, then we can relay that to you know, various people we speak to. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing is, and we've talked about how it will really impact you know, small companies, uh, small and medium-sized companies in Australia. Uh, and look, thank you very much. One of our, our shareholders sent in, I think he's, they made a submission along these lines, but just talking about, you know, over the last sort of set up a company um, with his own capital eight years ago, um, you know, been losing money, you know, so it's a small Australian company, been losing money for five years, finally starts making money, um, you know, pays back all the losses and, and finally is starting to pay tax, I think in the last 12 months. So it was in a position to pay fully frank dividends, but it's a small growth company and it needs to, you know, how they operate is they pay out, you know, if they pay tax and they want to reward their shareholders, so they pay a fully frank dividend. And if they're a growth company, they need that capital because, you know, they need it to grow. You know, they need it for stock, working capital, et cetera. So he needs to raise some more money, but now he, like he can't. Well, he can't raise the money and pay the fully frank dividend. So, you know, people have had eight years of pain, so they can't get a, a um, yeah, a fully yeah, a return, um, and or he can't raise the capital, and he, and he's got to borrow and take on more debt, and he he just thinks it's sort of for him. Unfortunately, with his business, it's close to it's not check, it's close to checkmate. Now that's to me that's a and and we've heard a number of those um, you know stories. Uh, also, a lot of stories from individuals that have 
you know, done the right, you know, really um, done the right thing over a long period of time uh, and money into into their you know, self-managed super funds so they don't have to rely on the um, on the government pension and you know, we'll get the benefit of fully um, of getting the fully frank dividends. Now, I mean, we'll go through. We probably, I think, it's a question later on. You know, what what are the initial impacts? Um, that isn't. An, you know, you're losing your franking. It's not like 2018, 19. It's not an initial impact. Um, that'll that'll probably happen over time, as a number of the factors that Jesse talks about. Um, you know, play out in terms of the larger companies have got excess franking. They look at minimising the tax they pay in Australia, so the franking in terms of the frank dividends that shareholders get. Now, the smaller companies, you know, growth companies, can't actually raise capital and pay out fully frank dividends. Um, you know, so, but that'll, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll cover that off a little later. And I mentioned earlier, you know, just, I was talking to a stockbroker, I know he does a lot of work you know, with charities and and a lot of charities um, participate in those off-market buybacks because it's really, it's it's the lo lower you know, taxpayers that um, get the benefit there. Thanks, Jeff. Um, we're just going to pull up a slide, but just before we get into questions, can you just reinforce what steps everybody can take to have their say on this matter? Yeah, the the it, it's 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 really important to yeah. You know, I suppose the number one. Um, you know, priority is to uh, put a submission in. Uh, and, and please, you know, I, I think on our website, you know, we've given you, um, you know, dot points or contact the office to talk about. Um, and, yeah, if, if you can, you know, just definitely put it in your own words, um, a submission. The, you know, that's, that's sort of the front line. Um, and, and they have to be in by the end of this month, you know, the 31st of March. Also, you can, again, you can write to your local member. Um, you know, the more, you know, the more noise or feedback they get, um, that this is going to negatively impact um, you know, Australia. Then, of course, um, you know, they're very, you know, they're very sensitive to that because you, you know, you elect them um, in, and and also if you, um, if you'd like to, please, you know, write to, you know, letters to the editors of any of any of the papers now th there have been various letters to the editors and um and even comments by you know people in our own industry um that uh yeah you know, that when i've seen them comment i've rung them and explained the situation uh, unfortunately a lot of people haven't spent the time and effort to really drill into this legislation and, and uh, you know again i i thank jesse for you know for doing you know, hard yards there uh, on our behalf, but it's you know the unintended consequences that reading you know on the surface it isn't there. You, know, you really got to go into that legislation and fully understand it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Now, thanks, Jeff, and thanks to everyone who sent through questions um, either before or throughout the webinar. Um, we will try and get to as many of those as we can, and if we run out of time, we'll ensure that we contact you after the call. Um, Jeff, this might be a good one for you. Um, Diane has suggested this could be the first step in dismantling the franking system. Can you share your thoughts? Uh, look, look, thanks, Diane. Um, when the initial part of the legislation um, that you know, was back, was it September last year, I think, um, 
when that came out, what we were worried about, and that was that was the one to do with capital raisings and um, and the ability to pay a fully frank dividend. And there, it was only talking about raising ten million dollars a year. Um, you know, so you, you'd think quite fairly minor. Um, and and we came out then and said, look, we're really concerned that this is the start of something. And it's really probably because it, it ran directly against what we've been told and what, what I think, like all Australia, what we all believed in. You know, we believed that Labor had um, given up on franking and you know, both you know, Albanese and Chalmers before the election you know, said that broadly franking was off the agenda. So, so we believe they were telling us the truth then. And then they come up and say, oh, look, it's like it's integrity or this was, uh, um, you know, Morrison brought in back in 2015 or 16 and never legislated it. The reason it was never legislated is because, uh, you know, Frydenberg took over as treasurer and he knew the, the significant unintended consequences this had. So, um, anyway, so I'm, I'm going off on a tangent now. We, we, get, get me back on. Get me back on. Where Just am I going? Dismantling the franking system. Yeah. The, well, yeah, the, uh, yeah I, I think the answer is, unfortunately, yes. There was there was a similar system to franking in the, in the UK back in. There was uh, the advanced corporations tax. Uh, had a few little different um, structures. You had to pay tax in advance. You know, from the uh, corporates, uh, and that was set up in um, 1973, and it lasted 26 years, 1999. The, um, I mean, Keating has been, we well, wrote an article back in 2013, said that Treasury tries to dismantle franking every seven years. Now, I was speaking to someone a while back that was talking to him about uh, Treasury and franking, and, he, and you know, Keating made the comment that if it wasn't yeah, it was me fighting against Treasury to get Franking in. And unfortunately, uh, and the reason why, un unfortunately, the current government is sort of, you know, going into a, a sort of a tunnel blind or, or whatever it is, and, and so is Treasury, is they never look at second and third order impacts. Yeah, you know, all their modelling is on first order impacts. So, you know, unfortunately, this is the, look, it looks like us, the first step. Now, Treasury wants to get rid of franking. Uh, unfortunately, they've been able to persuade um, the Labor government, who said they wouldn't bring frank, do anything with franking before the election, to bring in two bits of legislation that will make the franking system weaker. I mean, the simple thing is, if you've got double taxation, if the company pays you know, the tax, then it should be able to, using whatever structure, pay those fully frank dividends out to shareholders. So to me, unfortunately, this is the thin edge. It looks like the thin edge of the wedge, or start the start of, you know, the dismantling of the franking system. Unfortunately. Thanks, Jeff. You sort of mentioned this slightly in your answer just now, but Margaret has said the budget has estimated a ten million per annum saving on the capital raising changes. This doesn't seem worthwhile. What are your thoughts? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's not worthwhile. Um. But the reason why they're persisting with it rather than dropping it is each year there's about um, $36 billion of tax paid 
that could be paid out as an $86 billion or $87 billion fully frank dividend. Um, I see, sorry, it's $37 billion that could be paid out as an $86 billion fully frank dividend each year. Now, what the government, I think, is trying to do, or Treasury are trying to do, the, unfortunately, I don't think, no, the go think the government understands what they're trying to do, is stop that from ever being paid out. Because there's two ways that can be paid out in the future. It's like when a company, like a company makes, say, you know, $10 million, pays $3 million tax, there's $7 million left. It pays out a fully frank dividend of $4 million and there's $3 million left. So effectively, that $3 million isn't paid out a year because the company needs the capital. You know, it can't pay all the, the, the profit out each year. It needs it for grow and working capital, et cetera. So that equivalent of $37 billion that isn't paid out each year, um, then the only way in future that can get paid out is if a company either borrows money and gears up or raises capital. Now, the raising of the capital has been stopped by this legislation, so the only way will be where companies gear up. Now, I don't think boards are going to gear up to pay out fully frank dividends. If that does happen, then it, you know, then it puts corporate Australia at enormous risk. Um, so, unfortunately, I think that... that Effectively, the eighty, you know, six billion dollar fully frank dividend is landlocked, so that will never come out, and that's per annum. So it's eighty six billion dollars a year that that isn't paid to shareholders. So broadly, that's that's thirty seven billion of tax paid that is effectively surplus. So the, the you know the the, the large large mature companies that are paying that tax, like they're pretty smart. <laughs> And, and effectively, the government now will be incentivising them not to pay that tax because it's surplus uh, to be paid out. So broadly, you know, this this legislation in time, mark my words, will cost the government billions of dollars. Like, you know, the first year, you know, like it might be half a billion. You know, the second year might be a billion. The third year, two billion. You know, the fourth year, you know, three billion. And that's, in theory, to save... $10 million. Yes, interesting one. So we've just spoken about large companies, and, Jesse, I think this is probably a good one for you. Um, but Sophie spoke about the APRA direction during the COVID pandemic when they urged banks to retain half of their earnings and actively use DRPs and other capital management initiatives to pay out dividends. What you've discussed seems to counter that. What risk will this have on the banks, a pivotal part of our economy? Thanks, Sophie. <clears throat> exactly that. So I guess what ha like what tends to happen with the banks and, and during that COVID period, the regulator did step in. It was encouraging the banks to replenish their balance sheets um, to meet their capital requirements, but also to ensure stability. Um, it, I guess what, what was also happening was dividends were being paid, um, but they were replenishing their balance sheets for the capital outflow. This legislation would directly stop that activity. So in a heightened time of volatility and stress on the economy and the banking system, the ability for the banks to continue paying a fully frank dividend to maintain their cost of capital and to reward shareholders, that they would no longer be able to do so and replenish their balance sheet. So they could keep paying dividends, but those dividends will no longer be franked if they want to raise capital and replenish their balance sheets, which will put an enormous stress and strain on the bank. 
during a, a future period of, of volatility. It'll really limit their ability to manage their balance sheet, their capital, um, and to maintain their shareholder base. So it, it's interesting that in the, um, I guess, the updated legislation that was put out post the initial consultation period last year, they did include, Treasury did include an example uh, for an APRA-regulated entity um, replenishing their balance sheet for capital requirements that they may not apply the legislation in that way. But unfortunately, uh, Treasury is asking everyone to trust them and we know their view on franking. And unfortunately, I don't think corporate Australia is in a position to be able to trust Treasury and the tax office not to apply the letter of the law of the legislation. Thanks, Jesse, we might stick with you because this um, you, you spoke about Rio and BHP before, um, but Frederick has asked, what are the current franking credits on the books of some of Australia's largest companies? It's a great question. So I mentioned BHP. They can pay a, a $30.6 billion fully franked dividend tomorrow with the franking reserves they currently have. Rio is up there at $24.5 billion. Um, looking at the banks, so collectively Westpac, CBA, NAB can pay a $17 billion fully frank dividend. And it's mainly in Westpac, isn't it? Yeah, West, so Westpac's Westpac. got $7.7 billion got a in, in a fully frank dividend. Um, well, geez, and we probably, like Westpac historically, hasn't done that well investing overseas. You know, we've had a, uh, like in theory, you know, I, I'm sure the board will be looking at, well, we've got excess franking. We can't actually get it to shareholders. Um, and I think Westpac was one of the ones written up in the Fin Review, wasn't it? Mm. Because back in at one stage, one of the, you know, one parts of the legislation was going to be retrospective, and Westpac they raised um, back in 2019. They raised, you know, they announced at the same time they're going to pay a, a 2.8 billion dollar, um, you know, fully frank dividend and raise 2.5 billion dollars, and they raised the money before they paid the dividend. Now, would that be classified as yeah, would that get caught, be caught under this? But, no, but would they have to argue that it's that their dividend payment was an established practice? But when you look at the legislation that they're talking about established practice, in theory, it, it talks broadly that a dividend can't change. It's a flatline dividend, isn't it? Correct. So like, even a simple increase, if you went from one cent to one and a half cents, that would be a deviation from your established practice. Yeah. And, and you would have to fight the tax office on, on their application of the legislation. And given it's so broad, you, yeah. you're in a bit of a losing argument from day one. And, and you're fighting the tax office. And my, my experience, so, so, okay, so you're a large company, you're, you're on the board of a large company. Um, say, you know, any large company, and the tax office writes to you and said, oh, look, we believe that $1 of the capital you raised, and this is the most bizarre thing in terms of legislation, it can be $1 of the capital you raised a million years ago or in a million years' time. There's, I mean, there's no, it's, it's infinite. It, it's raised any time or <laughs> either past or future. There's no time limit. So in a million years' time, you sorry, yeah, effectively you raised a dollar and, th and then you paid a $20 billion fully frank dividend, and if they if $1 of that money that you raised helped you pay that $20 billion fully frank dividend, the whole fully frank dividend is unfranked. Frank. And you know, my experience with boards, and this is not you know, talking about any particular board, but this is listed company boards. Unfortunately, a lot of people on boards, the first thing they do is they, they're focused on protecting their own ass. And, um, Take the least risk possible. Th that's right. And so, therefore, yeah, it would be easier for them if the tax office is you know, saying, look, we think 
know, this is, um, yeah, th yeah, this, we can, we think this dollar helped you pay that dividend and, and money is fungible. You, you can't prove that that dollar didn't help you and you can't prove that it did. Um, but it's just their word against yours. Then the, the board of directors is going to send a letter out to shareholders and say, look, you know, we paid that fully frank dividend. Sorry, it's now not frank. And then the shareholders have, have to go and change their tax return and, and lose the franking. You know, to me, it's, you know, this effectively, I think we talked about somewhere that, you know, we're giving sort of the tax office a load of gun. I don't think we're giving them a load of gun. I think we're giving them, like, what's the biggest, uh, like, not a right, you know, I mean, we're giving them, you know, bazookas or I don't know, yeah, whatever it is, just to go around and, and tell any company, oh, look, bad luck, you know, your, your, your dividend's unfranked. And, and unfortunately, given the fact that companies will go about their operations and, and unfortunately have to take a risk in, in paying a franks dividend if there's capital raising and growth in the business happening elsewhere, a dividend will be paid and it will be the tax office that turns around in a period of time and says, well, hold on, the frank, like shareholders will lose the franking. But unfortunately, the, the dividend's already paid so that the capital's left the business but shareholders will lose the franking. It's not like the company can turn around again and, and pay the same franks dividend. The, the money's already been paid out. So what that will tend to do is companies will start changing their behaviours. The, the level of fully frank dividends that they're paying out will unfortunately reduce and companies with the excess franking reserves they can dwindle those down over time. The incentive for them to continue paying tax and continue topping up those franking reserves will look to diminish. So you'll see some large corporations start investing offshore. They'll be looking at the after-tax return of their projects and, and looking at Australia and it, with the value of the franking system and, and the cost of capital changing. Unfortunately, it, it won't be up the top of their list in investment opportunities. So we'll start seeing operations move offshore uh, Australian jobs being lost, unfortunately, as a result, and companies will start looking to minimise their tax. And I say this in, in the nicest way possible: we're incentivising the worst group of corporate Australia to incentivise to, to minimise their tax bill. Um, they are I mean, the, ones, with the ones that have the resources. Yeah, to that, focus on minimising. They've got tax. the resources, the expertise, and the know-how to minimise their tax bill in the future. And unfortunately, I don't think that has been factored in when looking at the the costings of what this proposed legislation bring about yeah and sort of going back to that i think one of the first questions that uh, about is it the dismantling of the frank system the fantastic thing about the franking system and, and hawk and keating you know, when they introduced it is that it encourages australian companies uh, to invest in australia to pay tax in australia to employ australians uh, it, it reduces their cost of capital it encourages them to raise capital not debt um, you know, which mean, you know, that's one of the reasons why we haven't had a recession for the last, you know, 30 odd years. That's one of the reasons why during the GFC or the Asian crisis or COVID, you know, we did, you know, relatively well compared to the rest of the world it is because of our franking system. Yeah, and it's disappointing that, you know, this is happening. Thank you. I will throw this to whoever wants to answer it, but Andrew has asked if you, it's a slightly different subject, Andrew has asked if you can tell us your thoughts on the 30% tax changes announced for superannuation. Isn't this double dipping if you add franking changes in? Well, it may be, well, I can give part of the answer, Jesse, if you want to add in. Yeah, specifically, you know, when this was announced, we were asked by a number of journalists to comment and we haven't commented. 
Um, uh, the you know, I'm in a fortunate position where I have a super fund that that will be impacted by this. Yeah, you know, my if if I was in government, I, you know, I would. You know, I, I always think a progressive tax system is the best one. Yeah, you know, that the person you know, that doesn't earn much money shouldn't you know, should pay no tax or, or very little, and the ones that earn a lot of money should pay more tax. And unfortunately, this isn't progressive. But um, but a story. Um, you know, one, I was talking to one of our shareholders just a couple of weeks ago after it was announced. You now they're a farmer. They live. I think six kilometres from a, a, a very a, a regional um, centre that's been growing very well. Yeah, thing he they're, they're on tough times and they had to sell half their farm um, to an investor, so they own half the farm. He put the the half of the farm in his super fund. Yeah, because property prices have gone up significantly. Yeah, over the last you know since he did that, then obviously he he's been a significant beneficiary. And he said, how am I going to pay the tax? You know, how, how will I? Like he said, I'll have to sell my farm, you know, that I've lived on all my life. And he said, that's the only way I'll be able to pay the tax. I just can't, pay, I just can't sell 2% of the farm or 3 or 6% of the farm. So to me, yeah, unfortunately, it just doesn't look as though it's been thought out you know, well enough. And Jesse, you... No, it, it feels incredibly rushed because as, as everyone's digesting the proposal, everyone's starting to look at, well, who's this going to impact and, and finding these unique circumstances. And I think the assistant treasurer and treasurer have said, oh, we'll only impact a few, but that, that just demonstrates that it has not been thought out because I think it's going to impact uh, a lot of people in these situations. And I think there's lots of commentary in terms of the, the cap, the $3 million cap and it not being indexed. I think the government's response to that um, was quite poor. I think they, they said um, that's for a future government to consider. I think if you're going to um, look at progressive tax reform, how about we legislate the best way possible now for a future government to ruin versus for a future government to fix? Um, it, it feels like they've tried to rush a number of things through ahead of the budget and a lot of these things haven't been thought out. And I think like, if you do look at the, the 30% rate, why not a progressive tax system? I, I thought they might have gone higher and, and had something a little bit more progressive up to the, the top marginal rate. Mm. Inadvertently, you could say, well, anyone above the 3 million, the, the benefit of franking disappears completely for any of those super funds above that rate. So inadvertently, it could be seen as, as an attack on the franking system as well. But I think, um, unfortunately, there's even bigger impacts for, for that range. And, and of course, the, the, the bizarre thing is it's un, unrealised gains. And that's why, you know, in theory, if it was realised, then you know, the farmer wouldn't, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have to sell his farm. Correct. Thank you. Um, I've got a two-part part question from David, and the first part we have touched on, but I think it's it's important to say again. Um, his question is, is it correct to say that the proposed changes to the franking credits law will be retrospective? And the second part is, and in respect to super funds, is there any difference depending on whether the shares are held in an SMSF or a retail or an industry super fund? You will recall that the proposal that Bill Shorten took to the election, only SMF, SMSFs were to lose franking credits. Yeah, great. Uh, that's a good question. Um, the first bit, so when, when um, Labor first introduced the capital raising and, and distribution um, bill, that was retrospective back to, I think, December 2016 or 2017. That has been dropped. 
So it's only going to be retrospective now from September last year when they announced the consultation. So they won't be going the full sort of period back. Um, logically, I think they, they could never have done that to begin with, given if they started going back and, and changing frank dividends, the impact that would have on a lot of uh, self-managed super funds and the industry super funds. Um, so it, it is still a little bit retrospective from when it was announced the consultation last year, likewise with the buyback, it's from that point in time, I think in the October budget, that it's retrospective. Um, but that that's the limitation now. It's not going to go back an, another sort of period of time. On, on the impact, um, I think this is where in, in sort of 2018, 2019, um, it was sort of specific as to who it would impact. The, the reason everyone should be quite concerned about this is because if you own any shares that pay a fully franked dividend or an invested in, in any company, uh, Australian company, this can, can impact everyone. Um, by changing the, the franking system at the company level, this is going to start changing company behaviours and, and anyone who's invested in those companies can therefore be impacted by this change. So it, it's quite indiscriminative in terms of um, who it can impact. But obviously, it will impact uh, more specific groups than, than most. So obviously, anyone, um, super fund, industry super fund, those types of entities on a, on a lower tax rate that benefit from franking, it, it will have direct impacts. But when is the question? So companies' behaviours will change over time. It won't be tomorrow that it impacts you, but it could be next year. It could be the year after. And we could start seeing a, a progressive impact over the years to come. Thanks, Jesse. Um, this question is from Lambros. He said, if we lose the franking credits, what avenue is there for licks to take? Could licks become trusts instead and therefore issue all of our dividend direct to the shareholder? If so, would the government miss out on franking credits? Well, well I mean, just on that, effectively, the bits of legislation that we're talking about today isn't yeah, effectively, it's the it looks like the start of of something in terms of with ranking, and we've talked about the significant uh, second and third order unintended consequences. Um, yeah, of, of this. So as of yeah, you know, where we are with this legislation, then yeah, you know, listed investment companies or, or the yeah you know, the yeah you know, will still get fully frank dividends. Now, what you'd expect is the amount of fully frank dividends to decline over time, um, but it'll be a gradual decline and it'll have significant impacts on, on other parts of um, you know, capital formation. So, yeah, so that's, that's that. In terms of listed investment companies, they've always had, um, they've always had the flexibility of turning it into trusts as a structure. Now, there was, uh, I think back in, back in 1819, you know, when there was talk about the changes back then, you know, one thing our, our various company boards looked at uh, was changing from a company structure into a trust structure. One of the things we like about the, you know, the company structure is that we can pay a fully frank dividend to shareholders over time and grow it over time. Um, where, and the, but the trust structure, you can still, you can still um, you know, not pay out all your um, earnings on an annual basis. So... Um, yeah, so there, there won't be yeah, the investors in listed investment companies or the either listed investment companies or listed trusts, you know, they won't miss out. Thanks. 
I've got a question from Dennis. To what extent would the removal of franking credits reduce self-funded retiree income to the extent that retirees have to fall back on a government pension in order to have a comparable living? This might impose a greater impact on the public purse than any saving from cancelling franking credits. Yeah, and I mean, just on that matter, and I'll get back to answering it, you know, we talked about the potential unintended consequences of the government's proposed legislation that in theory is going to save you know, $10 million, but stop lots of medium, small growth companies from paying fully frank dividends. Um, also, there'll probably be a benefit to Treasury there, <laughs> but there'll be a negative impact on Treasury for the companies that got excess franking, you know, where they'll look at minimising their um, you know, tax payment in Australia. But the, um, yeah, like the, I mean, Jesse, the, in terms of like, you know, the, the impact or? Yeah, so like obviously if over time, and this is a legitimate concern that companies start paying fewer and at a lower rate franked dividends down, if um, I guess someone in their pension phase is reliant on that income um, to fund their retirement and it does lower to such a level that they will then have to look at a government pension, um, yes, that, that's going to be something that could be a, a big reality for a lot of people. And like Jeff mentioned earlier, I don't think that has been factored in. When you do look at even just the, the modest $10 million a year that Treasury is saying this is going to raise, part of me thinks that number, I'd love, love to know the detail because part of me thinks that number has been chosen for it to fly under the radar so people don't look at the, the big impacts it could have. But I would imagine it does not factor in that people over time would potentially move to the pension um, and the impact that would then have on the budget. Yeah, but, uh, but that like that won't be that that's not happening immediately. No, like to me, and that's why we've got to be on the front foot here. It's obviously, yeah. If if the system changed significantly from here, uh, broadly, yeah, in terms of what what impact does it have on me as yeah as as an investor? To me, yeah, like it'll be it'll be very very gradual. Correct. Uh, it'll yeah, sort of like the it'll be like the frog in the mm. in the. Uh, in the boiling water, yeah, you won't notice it happening. But yeah, like in terms of your, your dividends, you know, this year you'll still get the you know, same fully frank dividends, or you know, if depending on profitability of the companies. But you now, then next year it might just be a little bit less, and then next year it might just be a little bit less. And that special yeah. dividend you might you would get from time to time, yeah, that might disappear completely. Yeah, well, the special, yeah, you might be able to pay a special dividend. Well, if you if the company ever raises capital, mm. then then it's, you know, then it's too risky. And see, you know, there was an article, I think, John Leibson wrote a nice piece uh, um, where, where he's talking about where Meyer, you know, who, you know, shareholders been suffering under not getting any uh, dividends. That they, they had the ability, I think at the AGM last year, I quizzed them about it, they, they had the ability to pay 24 cents fully franked. They paid a four cent, uh, you know, dividend and plus a four cent special. Now, if Meyer raises any money... Then I think God Leibson was saying, well, under the, his interpretation of the current legislation is if they raise any money and then the tax office can come back and say that's associated with the payment of the dividend. Uh, so he was saying if they raise any money over the next couple of years, then that probably those dividends mightn't be franked. I mean, they're franked at the moment. Uh, but, it, like, it's just bizarre that, you know, corporate Australia could be in that position uh, and, and, you know, the uncertainty. And, and we know what uncertainty does. It doesn't help anything. Yeah, you know, it's negative for 
for everyone. So I've got a question from Wendy. Um, how will this affect people who lodge a tax return? Uh, so right now, um, like we mentioned, yet to be seen. I guess the impact to someone lodging a tax return will come about upon the application of the legislation. So if the legislation was to pass, a company was to pay a franc dividend and the tax office then turned around in a, in a year's time and said that dividend is no longer franked, companies will have to write to their shareholders and, and then it will be back on shareholders to go and amend their previous tax returns, unfortunately, for the removal of the franking credits that would have been associated with the dividends. So it, it's a bit of an if scenario at the moment. It, those circumstances would have to play out um, for it to impact people sort of lodging the, in the lodgement of the tax return process. Great. I've got one from David. Um, it's probably a comment as much as anything. I hope this important discussion doesn't distract Wilson Asset Management from losing sight of improving the performance of all of our funds. Yeah, and and the answer, David, you know, that that won't change. You know, the um, we've got fifteen individuals with, I think it's a little under two hundred years of experience you know, managing the the various portfolios of of the eight listed investment companies. Um, yeah, you know, I am chairman. Um, you know, the only company I have any you know, that I'm involved in the of the listed investment companies of of the operations of in terms of picking stocks is WAM Strategic Value. Now there we we're trying to buy a dollar of assets for eighty cents. Um, you know, so and Jesse's on the you know, on the finance side, um, and um, and Sam's on the shelter engagement communication side, and and we both have, you know, Jesse has a big team under him, and Sam has a big team for her. So yeah, this this we think is very important. You know that we stand up for. You know, what we believe um, is right and try to you know, make everyone understand the significant unintended consequences of, of this potential behaviour or this behaviour or the proposals. Uh, but in terms of the business, um, the, you know, obviously, yeah, and obviously the funds that have, you know, yeah, we, we expect them to continue to perform well over time. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I know it has been a, a, a challenging market. You know, obviously the last week has been challenging as well. But in those environments, you tend to find, you know, as fund managers, that's when you that's when you get excited. Yeah, you know, and and I think I think the next, yeah, you know, I think the next six to twelve months is going to be is going to be difficult. I, I've been at that view for a while, um, and that sort of doesn't change. Thank you. I've got a question from Gray. When a company is a subject of a takeover, will the franking credits associated with the dividend be at risk? Uh, great question. To be honest, yet to be seen. So if there's any issuance of shares um, in the company or any sort of part capital raising that could be considered um, with a takeover and there's a franks dividend component to the takeover, then potentially, yes, um, th those types of transactions could fall away. So if, if company A takes over company B, company B, you know, part of the is pays a fully frank dividend before it's taken over, but then company A raises capital to take over company B, is do, do you lose the franking in company B? 
Uh, I would have to look into that one and, and take that one on notice. It's yeah. um, I'd need to look look into the legislation. Does it then factor in the look through um, that that was a subsidiary and, and capital raise then sort of helped fund the operations going forward post the dividend? Yeah. Um, potentially, it'd be one I'd, I'd need to look into that specific example. Hmm. We'll take that one on notice and respond to Gray directly. Um, I've got one from Andrew. Uh, are the changes to the franking system likely to frighten investors and lead to a flight of capital offshore? Oh, I, I, well, I, I don't think, I mean, a great question, but I don't think anyone thinks anything's happening with the franking system. <laughs> To me, it's it's bizarre where I think I was talking to um, yeah when, when sort of when it was announced the Senate inquiry is on you know the, the papers are on, on top of it and I got a call from um, you know some you know some people in the media and they said Oz is Oz franking back on the agenda well from our perspective it's been on the agenda since. Uh, the latter, you know, September, October last year, and, and it hasn't gone off the agenda. Um, and, and I think you know, a lot of people are still not aware of what's happening. Uh, and, and even the ones that work in the industry, you know, they don't understand the significant uh, the, the significance of the uh, of the legislation. Like I've spoken to a number of senior people, you know, tax people, etc., about. You know, the buybacks and how appalling it is that you know, that if you do an off-market buyback going forward, and nothing to do with franking, but you're going to lose franking if you do an off-market buyback. Yeah, uh, it's yeah you know, if you have retained earnings. Like to me, you know, there was a, a senior <laughs> people at a, an audit firm. So unfortunately, I think um, you know, there hasn't been enough noise made about it. At the, yeah, Jesse, have you got any? No, I, I think exactly that. It, it's sort of flown under the radar by the disguise of being posed as a tax integrity measure. Um, I think Labor's deliberately tried to, I guess, play down the issues and it's only upon the, looking at the detail that you really see the complications that come with the, the bits of legislation. Um, and I think as now a Senate inquiry has been announced, this is a great opportunity for a lot of that to be fleshed out because, um, like, sort of some tax people have mentioned on, on the buyback. It's the only, like the buyback piece, it'll end up being the only change in ownership of a company. So like when companies go through different changes of ownership with the issuance of shares or buybacking of shares, it'll be the only change that results in a penalty from a franking perspective, which is new and illogical. Um, so there's lots of things to be explored, I think, as part of the Senate inquiry. Yeah, but I, I don't think the market's aware yeah, oh, and, and if the market did become aware, again, it's 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 not immediate. Yeah, you know, so to me, these things all happen over time. So I don't think there'll be any adjustment to the market. Thank you. I've got a question from Richard. Richard has said, "I'm going to participate in the WAM Leaders SPP. Will the proposed legislation on franking credits impact the next dividend payment for leaders?" Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. Uh, yeah, so the, the simple answer is no. Um, we we have paid a, a dividend sort of every six months um, since WAM Leaders' inception. Um, it, it's an ordinary dividend. That oh, we're, we're, that's we're a good paid. point. 
but but using their oh, that's a good point. So we we would establish practice. How at, do we go with the established practice? Yeah, so, we actually increase the dividend. So whilst we increase the dividend, we increased it at a proportionate rate to what our previous increases have been. And, and again, this is unfortunately yeah. the the broadness of the legislation. Can you increase a dividend and, and still look to grow? A company. Um, so yeah. our belief is it will have no impact. Well, and the good thing is, you, you, as as a board of directors, we're not going to we're not going to send you a, a piece of paper and say, "Oh, look, sorry, that dividend we paid is now unfranked." I will fight them and bring it on. Like to me, <laughs> uh, you know, we would, we, you know, we would, you know, use all our resources, and you know, that, that we we wouldn't use. We'll use Wilson Asset Management resources, not WAM leaders' resources, to um, yeah to fight them. But the uh, but I mean it's a fair it's a fair point. Like yeah. the example I used in terms of established practice in the yeah is pretty much yeah stable dividends, isn't it? Correct. They don't talk about growing dividends. No. Yeah. So yeah. like the, the, there's there's a minute risk, um, but but it is a risk, and and, and there shouldn't be any risk. That, that just shows you how ridiculous it is. Thank you. I've got one from Jeff. What is the likely impact of the proposed legislation on an investment instrument such as capital notes? Well, Jesse, do you, have you got a view on capital notes? Um, I think that there's a... There's is there a, a carve-out for them? Or well, there's no? a, there's an example they do provide in the legislation that sort of I guess raising some money under notes and, and paying a, a franked distribution on the notes um, in, in the future is allowable. It, it will really come down to the structure. Um, has the company sort of done something like that before as well? Like do they have an established practice of, of paying dividends on those notes? Like if a company was to, I guess, raise a, a ton of money under the notes and then start paying frank dividends immediately um, using the capital that they raised from the notes, I would imagine that would be something that Treasury would look at under the way they would apply this legislation. So it, it will really depend on, on the structure um, and, and what the company says about them slash what they've done in the past. Thank you. Um, Mark has acknowledged that this has been touched on briefly, but could you discuss again? Um, can you still operate a DRP under the proposed changes given it involves paying out franking and raising capital concurrently? concurrently? Well, and, and this is the unfortunate broadness of, of the legislation. So Treasury does give this extreme example. Obviously, they want to rule out um, sort of DRP underwriting where companies sort of, I guess, do a placement, do a capital raise for the portion that's not reinvested in a dividend. But when you read through the legislation, um, a dividend is a capital raising activity. So that part of the legislation gets, gets caught um, if the company cannot demonstrate the established practice test, which is broad and, and unspecific. Potentially a simple DRP could get caught. If a company pays a special dividend for the first time and offers a, a dividend reinvestment plan on that special dividend, then potentially the entire dividend could become unfranked or simply just increasing their ordinary dividend. So if a company went from one cent to one and a half or, or two cents and offered a DRP, that could get caught um, under the, the broadness of the legislation where Logically, it should be it should be specific and clear that that does not get caught. Um, a simple dividend reinvestment plan should be able to be offered to shareholders of all Australian companies. 
Thank you. Peter has asked, Australian Foundation Fund has put out a newsletter saying they don't think this proposed franking legislation will make any difference and that it won't affect their shareholders. Why do you think some in the industry don't understand the unintended consequences? Happy to take this one. You, were, you, yeah. only, you caught up with them the other day. So. Yeah, look, I think the, the note they put out to shareholders was trying to reassure their shareholder base that um, they won't be impacted from an AFIC perspective. So as an AFIC shareholder, um, you won't be impacted. But, uh, and that's pretty much, yeah, the, the you know, that's the message we're telling our shareholders broadly you know, from our, like, will it will it impact our dividends, our, you know, whether they're franked or not? You know, we don't think that'll be the case mm. um, yeah, currently. Yeah, and I, and I think um, that's as sort of far as that note went. Um, so I think they still express some concern about the government's tinkering of, of the franking system and uh, sort of watch this space. Um, but I think it was more of a reassurance for their shareholders versus looking at the, the problematic nature and the unintended consequences of the legislation that it could have more broadly if you were invested in other companies um, directly versus through a, a listed investment company um, like AFIC. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, my, you know, we're, we're saying what it'll, you know, the, the holistic approach. Mm. One, you know, what's, what's wrong with the legislation and, and the impact that it'll have on... Yeah, you know, I'm broadly on yeah you know, the budget on you know, the you know, Australian economy on uh, Australian companies. Mm. Yeah, you know, which companies will be impacted, which won't. Um, Versus yeah. just specific to listed investment companies. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're looking at the issue um, holistically from yeah. that sort of overall level, not just specific to us. From yeah. day to day for us, we don't believe it, it would change or impact our operations um, because this isn't uh, a complete removal of the franking system. Yeah. This is sort of, I guess, starting to, to tinker um, with the edges and, and change the structure. But given the changes that are proposing, um, there are broad um, consequences. Thank you. We've got a question from Gerard. And I think he's asked specifically about the opposition party, but it might be interesting for listeners to also hear about what others are doing as well. But he has asked, what is the opposition party doing in relation to highlighting the issues with the franking changes? The, the yeah, as in the liberals, yeah. the yeah, I mean they are you know, they have I think brought it up a couple of times in question time. Um, I know um, you know the senators, um, you know, the the senators have been. I think Bragg um, was you know was grilling Treasury and uh, Labor about it. You know more recently. Um, yeah, so to me, they're, they're, they're and, and in terms of the Senate inquiry, you know, my understanding is it was, yeah, it was the, you know, the Liberal Party that pushed for the Senate inquiry um, or called the Senate, you know, or, or were the ones that encouraged the Senate mm. inquiry going ahead. So, um, you know, the, the, unfortunately, when you're in opposition, you know, there's, there's you know, less you can do. Yeah. But that's um, what I... Yeah. I understand they're doing. And, and they also, um, there was a lot of Liberal members that spoke on it in the lower house when it was first introduced. There were some amendments proposed by the Liberal Party. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's um, right, the amendments, yeah. To, to broadly, I guess, um, stop the franking penalty component of, of doing a buyback, off-market buyback in the future and to remove the capital raising and frank distribution legislation mm. completely. 
Um, unfortunately, that wasn't wasn't sort of, I guess, passed in, in the lower house, but the Senate inquiry will be able to flesh out um, those proposed amendments. And also with that, I think, was it four of the Teals voted? Correct. With the Libs um, and, uh, yeah, so yep. some of the Teals abstained. Yep. Yeah, which was, which was disappointing, but... Thank you. Stuart has asked, will franking changes impact share prices of companies in the short and long term and hit any sectors harder than others? I think, I think nothing in the short term. Mm. The, um, it's, this is all medium long term. I think it'll be you know, the biggest risk and is the you know, mid and small cap listed ones. You know, obviously, the, there's enormous amount of Two and a half million small and medium-sized companies in Australia. So, yeah, there's yeah, how many listed? Yeah, you know, so there's yeah a couple of thousand listed small cap companies. Um, so yeah, so that, that's that's where the yeah you know, that's definitely where the risk is, and it's w w their inability to you know, pay tax, pay out fully frank dividends, and then raise capital to replenish. Um, you know, so their cost of capital probably goes up or their inability to pay fully frank dividends. Uh, and the as an investor, being like as we're totally aware of this, then that just creates an opportunity for us because, you know, it's really, well, I'm thinking purely as an investor, then I want to find those companies that will have those problems because if the market isn't fully aware of it, that's where, you know, the opportunities will, will eventually present themselves. You know, they'll be too expensive at the moment. But, you know, you could have a situation where they've got to decide, do they want to raise capital to grow uh, and never pay a, a dividend? Um, or, you know, do they pay a dividend, gear up you know, more? You know, it creates an enormous amount more risk. But, but then if they succeed... Well, they can, the problem is they can't then raise capital to pay back the debt if the debt was associated paying the dividend. But yeah, anyway, that's to me, it's yeah. As an investor, these opportunities um, are exciting in terms of individual sectors. You know, Jesse talked about you now the companies that had uh, franking, um, so they're the ones that you know will probably focus on minimising the amount of tax they pay in Australia. So, you know, so that you could get a better return on that. So to me, it's really more looking at the companies, looking at their franking balance, looking at if they, if they need to raise capital to pay out fully frank dividends. So then, then, you, then you know that, um, you know, I don't think it's a particular sector. It's, it's, you've got to look at it on a company-by-company company basis, but probably more skewed to large versus mids and smalls, where the mids and the smalls will find it hard to pay, raise capital and pay fully frank dividends, and the large ones... Yeah, you know, that they're probably in a, in a better position. Thank you. Um, I have got a question from Cheryl. She's asked, um, we've only got four more questions, so we're starting to close up. So if anyone's got any further questions, please put them in now. Um, but Cheryl has asked, which of the two legislation changes yields the biggest benefit to the government? Yeah. It's, well, it's the biggest benefit, yeah, well, it has to be the, the buyback, doesn't it? Oh, like based on government estimates, it's the buyback. Um, well, based so, on our estimates, it's the buyback too. Well, because on on our estimates, not factoring in the unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because factoring in the unintended consequences, the government government could lose, lose a couple money. of billion dollars yeah. 
of tax revenue if they do the capital raising one. Correct. But they will get the benefit of those. There'll be a delayed benefit of those companies, the small companies that won't be paying the fully frank dividends anymore. Yeah. But yeah, the, buy, the buyback legislation, which is I think five hundred and fifty million over the yeah. forward estimates, um, that that sort of reaps the immediate benefit to limit companies paying a fully frank dividend as an off-market buyback. Um, William has asked: Will today's speakers and other experts be invited to speak at the Senate inquiry? We're not quite sure. That's up to the inquiry. We're, we're very happy to. So we, we will put a submission in um, and if we do get sort of chosen to, to speak, we'd be very happy to participate. Um, two more questions. One from John. Does Wilson Asset Management have a submission that we can sign as this is a complex issue not easily explained to many non-expert investors? Yeah, n not really, John, un unfortunately, because... Um, there was an article in the paper that I think turned up under Freedom of Information that showed there was 2,000 submissions to um, you know, the, you know, the, the one of the changes to the you know, franking legislation. And I think of those 2,000 submissions, or over 2,000, most of them came from our, uh, our shareholders. And I think, and, and when they, when Treasury talked about it, they said it was more a a template letter, um, you know, from a I think they call they call us a commercial asset manager. Um, anyway, I'm not sure we'd call ourselves that, but anyway, and so how how Treasury look at that is effectively if two thousand of them are the same, they look at it as one submission. So you're really better off going to our website, you know, seeing. Yeah, we've we've tried to give you topics and and ideas, and then and then really just put it into your own words. Um, and, you know, we've given you ninety percent of it, but if you can put your own story, yeah, uh, or uh, particularly if you're involved in managing a company at some point in time, to me they're the more powerful ones. That is right. Thank you. And the last question from Sonia is, um, we touched on this earlier, but can you please give us an idea of what listeners should include in their submission and other and other actions that they can take? Yeah, so I guess the... I'm just trying to go through the actual list that we have. So what's on our website? Apologies. So what's important, well, in theory... Yeah, I think first of all, you say there's. Do we call them? Well, we'll be sending you all an email after this. This will probably help you a little bit. Which, which in theory, I'm just, I was trying to read it here. If I was looking down to the right, that we'll be sending out, and that'll have some slides that we try to put together to give you an idea of the you know, the second order effects, yeah, you know, and the third order effects. So you can use some of the uh, wording there. To me, it's you know, I think first of all, you state. Um, at the very start, you know, that you are, what, what do you state, that you're against the, yeah. that you oppose are the words, what are they, Sam? What are the, what are the correct words to say? Uh, we'll have to include those, but it's, it's yeah, I oppose the changes yeah. to the legislation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I oppose, I, I oppose, I think it's chapter four and chapter five. Yep. Um, yeah. That, yeah, I, I'm yes, probably concerned about the, you know, significant unintended consequences 
Um, and then you can say, you know, tell them your story. Like I've saved all my life. I've done the right thing, uh, et cetera. Um, I live on on franking credits. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then you can say, yeah, my understanding of that, um, yeah, that chapter four, is chapter four the buyback? Correct. Yeah. 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 Chapter four is the buyback, um, that that will negatively impact capital formation in a, in Australia. Um, and chapter five, um, and we, we'll give you a bit more detail there, um, and chapter five, or you might want to say with chapter four, that actually, please, if you participate in buybacks, say that I participate in buybacks and say that this is how you know, I, I get my franking and how I survive on. And, and you can also say that you know, these companies, they've already paid the tax. You know, why are you stopping? You know, you know, it's, it's unfair. They've paid the tax. So if I get the buyback as a fully frank dividend, you know, the company's already paid the tax. Yeah, you know, maybe you associate with a charity that participates in buybacks, mm-hmm. and you and you talk about that, or your self-managed super fund, and say, look, I live off, you know, these buybacks. You know, the large companies, the ones that do them. So I participated in the BHP one, in the, um, you know, who else has done them? Yeah, you know, is it? Yeah, you know, there's there's well, whichever ones you've participated in. Say over the last ten years, I've participated in five of them, or three of them, or, um, so you can talk about that, and then in the other one. Uh, the other bit, which is Chapter 5, that's where it's about raising capital that's associated um, with paying uh, fully frank dividends. And and to me, you can say that you know, my reading of the legislation is, is just extremely broad, has significant unintended consequences, um, and, um, and, and if you can... Um, and and you might say you know, that you'll think it'll inhibit you know, the, the you know, smaller and smaller tax paying um, growth companies in Australia from raising capital, um, and that's you know that's 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 a that's a decent yeah you know, that's a decent amount and and like it only has to be a page to me, the more submissions we get in, um, you know the more they'll look at it pay attention. And the more there'll be potentially be, uh, they'll spend more time talking about it. Yes, and then I think the other thing that you can do with that, um, that's obviously going to the Senate Inquiry Committee. If people have the time, they could perhaps take that submission and send it off to their local MP as well. Um, just, you know, they're here to represent yeah. their constituents, so it's important that they hear those same messages as well. That's it for questions. So I'll pass to you both for any closing remarks. Jesse, anything to... No, I just wanted to thank everyone for taking the time to be part of the webinar. Um, all the questions that have been sent through have been great and I think the biggest thing is raising awareness about the proposed legislation and the impacts they will have. I think to date um, they have flown a lot under the radar, so it's been important that we've had this time today to be able to sort of share our views and our thoughts on it um, and really encourage everyone to make a submission uh, by the end of the month. Yeah, look, thank you. And as I said, in the next couple of hours, we'll be sending you an email. Everyone is registered. And, and please forward the email to anyone you know, any stockbrokers, you know, because, like, surprisingly, a lot of people don't understand, you know, the impact that's going to have. And, and when we're down in, in Canberra seeing the various advisors and the various politicians, I mean, one of them said to me, oh, 
hey, I just thought, you know, when you were coming down, oh, I just sort of, you know, Jeff going on about Frankie again, I, I just didn't realise the impact that, that, that this will have. Um, and so, like, the reason we're making a noise is because um, it, 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 it really de- will have a significant impact on the Australian economy and it's up to you, us all you know, to, to stand up and try to, try to ha- have that changed. So thank you.